0: Hi, this is Bob, and today I have an interview with Heaven's Edge. Heaven's Edge hails from Philadelphia. They reunited in 2013 and are stronger than ever today. They have released Get It Right, a testament to that fact. And here is my interview with Heaven's Edge. Hello, my friend. Hello. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing, David?
1: I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I'm, I'm on my... um. I'm on my desktop computer. I could switch over to my phone if that's better.
0: No, your desktop is just fine. I hear you great.
1: All right, awesome. Are we doing video or just uh, audio only?
0: Just audio only. Great.
1: okay. fantastic. I wanted
0: to, I wanted to thank you for taking time to speak with me today.
1: Uh, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it. Um, I appreciate that there's interest in the group and um I'm proud of it. And I uh we finally we're really finally getting a chance to to tell our story um after all these years and it it's great to be able to set the record straight.
0: I wanted to ask you first. I wanted to ask you what led to the making of this album.
1: Um let me ask you first. Are we starting? Is this it?
0: Yes, this is okay, it. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Uh, I didn't know if there was like, you know, I do some of these things and they're like, okay, they ask me a few questions and then we roll. Okay, so what led to the to the making of this album um, was, I would say it was a culmination of us uh, getting back together again in 2013 um, and realizing, you know, how much fun we had playing together as a band and how much uh interest there was in our music and we we didn't really realize what an impact the band had you know we look we weren't a massive band by any uh stretch but you know it's it's fun to bring joy to people you know and and that's what the music did and and not it's you don't really get that many opportunities in life to make people happy really and we felt like man this is this is great for us to do Um, You know, so we we played a number of shows we would play a couple of times a year. um, And there was a renewed interest in our genre um, from the 80s and early 90s. And so there were more opportunities for us to play. So the more opportunities that arose, you know, we took them and we started to play and rehearse more. And then unfortunately, we lost George, our bass player, one of my dearest friends, uh, to lung cancer just as we were really starting to hit our live stride. And I thought that we'd probably never get to play again. Mm. Um, And uh, we, we, uh, Mark uh, came across Jaron. I think, I don't know how he he was introduced to him. Honestly, I don't remember. Uh, I think it was uh, just through some friends uh, in the Philadelphia scene. And Jaron, the bass player, our new bass player, uh, rehearsed with us a couple of times and you know we felt like you know he's a different he's a different human being than George you know he, he's not the same guy George was George was like out of his mind you know he was like party central 24 7 and just an absolute riot um constantly whereas Jaron is more reserved um and more particular about his bass playing and uh He's so easy to get along with, uh, with the group. We we just fell in so so easily with him. We felt so blessed that uh, he showed up into our uh, into our universe. Guys, handsome as the devil as well. That doesn't hurt, and uh, he's young. And uh, so, you know, once Jaron joined, we thought, you know what? We, let's let's see what happens here. George would probably. Uh, want us to keep going. His memory is kept alive by the band being kept alive. So we, we played a couple times, and the next thing we know, Frontiers hit us up and said, hey, would you guys be interested in recording something new? And uh, we had a, a handful of songs, not many, uh, that the band was performing live. Uh, we got together, talked about it, and we decided uh, that we were up for it and so we we got we dove in uh, head first you know so there you go
0: and the amazing thing about it is i know you have to be astonished by the wealth of a appreciation for this
1: album well we were i was a little i i have to say myself i was a little reticent to do it in the first place um i don't know if you know but i'm an a and r guy uh by trade. That's what I do for a living. And mm. I, I ran the a and department at Roadrunner Records for many, many years. And I, I worked at the label for 20 years. And uh, so, you know, I said to the band, look, I, we never really had an A&R guy at Columbia Records when we were there. Uh, you know, it's the fucking music business, you know, like right. our A&R guy like either quit or got fired right and we're in the middle of making the record. So, and we were just left, we were handed off to some guy who didn't really give a crap about us. Um, so I said, look, I've been making records for the last 20 years. Let me bring my expertise to this situation. I, I can, you know, work with Mark and Reggie as songwriters. I can pull some of the favors uh, and some of the relationships that I've had over the years with with some producers and engineers. Uh, we knew some people who could help us out. And, um, you know, a lot of these guys that I work with over the years at Roadrunner came in and really gave gave, uh, us their best effort and helped us shape the record in a way that sounds, I think, modern and competitive by today's standards, but doesn't, uh, lead us astray into believing that we're part of, uh, you know, the modern heavy metal world. You know, we do what we do and, uh, but I wanted it to sonically be competitive and sound like uh, you know when you when it's on in a playlist on Spotify, it, it's not going to sound dated, and right. I, th- I think it holds up. Um, but most importantly, man, it's it's really all about the songs. It's something I learned as an A and R guy. The most important thing is are the songs. If you don't have good songs, forget it. And Mark and Reggie are extremely talented songwriters. I think they're underappreciated as songwriters. And, um, you know, songwriting, it's like a muscle, you know, you have to flex it. You have to use it all the time. Some of the greatest songwriters that I've worked with over the years, um, you know, they write constantly. I mean, and a lot of the stuff sucks, you know, and you know, write a hundred songs and then one of them will be great. But then you have that one great song and, and, and that's what matters the most. So, um, you know, Mark and Reggie ha- had been writing, but not like as much as they were back when we were a full-time active band. And so um, we we worked with a, 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 a co-writer on this record, a guy named Jacob Bunton, who came in and, and really just like helped get the songs over the goal line. Uh, he's a super talented songwriter and a super talented producer. Uh, he's a vocalist and guitar player as well. And he really, I think, jump-started us and got us headed in the right direction. So to answer your question with this long-winded answer, Am I thrilled by the reaction? I I am, but I wouldn't have done it unless I thought we were going to really put out a a quality piece of music. And I'm really proud of it. And I believe in it. Totally believe in it.
0: And I wanted to ask as far as the recording process, how did it feel to be back in the studio again?
1: Um, It was terrifying (laughs) in one sense. Um, Because I don't really actively play as much as I used to at all. And so, you know, being in the studio, you're under the microscope. The recording technology has changed so much since we made our first album. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we made our first album, you know, you either got it right or you did it again. And now with technology the way that it is, you could just, you know, hack it up in there and they chop it up and make it sound good. You know, we didn't really want to do that. We wanted to go in and, and play complete finished takes, really get the vibe right. And because we're, we came up in the world where that's how you had to record in the studio, that's the mindset that we went in. So a lot of the stuff that you're hearing are fully complete takes, not a lot of punching in and that kind of stuff and, and not a lot of editing. Um, so, you know, we really uh, did the best we could to go in and, and, and capture a live vibe in the studio. It felt great. And at the same time, the beauty of this is, you know, it's sort of like, you know, going back to school when you're older. You know, like you care about it more. <laughs> you know, sure. I didn't care about it when I was younger because I certainly did. Uh, it was everything to me. But you, we were we were a little bit more tightly wrapped. You know, now when you're older and you we've been playing together for so many years, we don't mind like airing it out and making mistakes and hoping to come up with like a beautiful mistake when you're in the studio. And so we were much more willing to try different things and play a lot looser. Um, In the old days, Reggie would make a demo and he would program the drums and I would actually try to match what he programmed um, because I thought that, you know, that's how the songs went. Now that's not how we do it at all. You know, Reggie will write a song. We'll listen to it a couple of times. And then we put the demo away and we bring our own interpretation to it. And it really makes for a more, I think, unique band sound. Uh, and we sound more unique than we used to as players.
0: I also wanted to ask you, can you speak on the video? What could have been?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, we were contemplating what to do. You know, this kind of, like I said, this, this album and the title of it and everything really represent so much for us. When we made this video... It harkened back to when we made our first video for Skin to Skin. It never really came out the way that we wanted it to. And when we we were kind of halfway through making a video for Find Another Way, when we left Columbia, that, that video just got shelved. I think there's footage of it laying around somewhere. I, 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 we can't seem to find it. But but so when we made this video, I was like, you know, we need to make a video that really captures what the band does live. And even though that we're considerably older, you know, we still... We still work at it. You know, we still think our live show is 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 one of the best things about the band. So we really wanted to capture all the live antics and the chor- choreographed moves that we do and just the energy on the stage and the joy that we have playing for e- with each other and for the for the people. Um, so that was like the idea was let's just get a live show. Let's capture the whole entire show and let's like edit it into one song. And we did that. And when the video was done, when I got the cut, uh, there was a a shot of us at the end of the video where we had our back to the audience. We were taking a photo that many bands do. You've seen a lot of bands do this over time, where yeah. the shows over and they do that. And and I was like, oh shit! There's a there's an actual still photo of that as well. We should like. St- like morph into that black and white stage photo and it'll be like a nice ending to the video and then when we did that I was like you know we should do something at the beginning that that makes it like a storybook and makes it seem like this is like a story it will really fit into the lyrics so we um you know we have we have the video open with with like what could have been is like the title of the book you know and and then by the end, and then the book is like the video. And then at the end of the video, when the book closes, it's now like the new album cover showing that, Hey, you know, what could have been is kind of like what really is, you know? Right. Uh, so it was sort of in a way like sentimental for us because there's a lot of sentimentality towards this band, especially since we lost George, but it's also like, I think an uplifting video. Cause it's like, Hey, you know what? We're still here. We're still doing it. And there's a lot more to come. The book, is still yet to be written.
0: And part of the magic of Heaven's Edge is a live performance. Um, there's no doubt that you guys give 100% each and every night.
1: We, uh, we came up with in a scene in South Jersey that was super competitive. You know, I mean, there were a lot of great bands in South Jersey and Philadelphia that were they looked great. They played great. And the live show was, was a big part of it. And I'm referring to, uh, you know, even bands like Cinderella, of course, Bon Jovi, Skid Row, you know, they they kind of all more were around our world when we were coming up. And so, you know, you had to, you really had to be great. And there were also a lot of cover bands. Uh, there was a band called the dead end kids that was from the South Jersey, Philadelphia area. That in my estimation are probably one of the most influential bands in rock music, I would say, in the last like 30 or 40 years. And and re- literally, like nobody knows this band because they were a cover band, you know, and they didn't want to get signed. But all the things that they did were like adopted by Poison, by Cinderella, by Britney Fox, by us, by you know, it morphed into like some of the LA bands because like a guy like John Karabi, for example, you know, uh-huh. was in Italy and he moved out to LA and he was like pulling some of the dead end kids stuff too. So, um, which is something that's a whole nother subject that, that band and, and the influence that they had, um, somebody should do a documentary on them. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, we, we really had to compete. Um, and fortunately for us, when we got back together again, you know, we were all kind of, still skinny, you know, still had our hair. And uh, we were one of those bands who just rehearsed incessantly. We would rehearse hours, and I mean six, eight hours at a clip multiple times a week, and then we would go play on the weekends, and then we would come back and, and, and rehearse again all week long, every freaking night. Like, it was nuts. So when we got back together, our muscle memory kicked in, and it wasn't really that hard for us to get back on the horse again. And uh, it was just always in our mind to make sure that when people come to see the band, they walk away and feel like they they were entertained.
0: Sure, and I think that's something we lost for a long period of time, as far as, uh, you know, in the metal genre, was that sense of being entertained, you know, for the yeah. longest. We were watching bands that were dressed up worse than we was.
1: <laughs> well, it's different. I mean, you know, I mean, the metal and the grunge era, as always, you know, there's always like a slap back to what comes before. And and while those bands weren't necessarily like dressed up like we were, like in an extreme fashion, um you know, I mean, I thought they looked cool. I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm i a big fan of that stuff. And of course, you know, I worked with Slipknot for many years, uh, for 20, 20 years, 21 years. And if you look at Slipknot, I mean you know Joey Jordison, the drummer he he was like doing the drum solo just like Tommy Lee was with the with the drum solo that the drum set that was uh going upside down and he had a double, sure. double bass kid and they you know they they were super entertaining and you know if you looked for it, it it was still there but it just wasn't um the way that we were doing it but uh yeah no but i i understand i understand what you're what you're saying
0: and what a great vocal ability i mean One definitely one of the best singers of our era to be able to do, you know, his solo material, do the Slipknot stuff is just amazing.
1: Oh, Corey, yeah, Corey Taylor is probably one of the greatest vocalists ever in rock music. I mean, and metal. He, he, there's nobody like him. He's, he, he could. There's nothing he can't do.
0: I wanted to ask you as far as development. I wanted to ask you if you could take me back to when you started uh, playing, and uh, the progression of your development as a drummer.
1: Um, that's so weird. I haven't been asked that question in forever. <laughs> um, because I don't really consider myself like a great drummer. Um, but I, uh, you know, I grew up in a very musical family. Uh, very, very musical. Actually, I super talented people in my family. Uh, and, and recording artists going all the way back to, you know, the 30s and 40s. Um, I have, a, I have a, uh, an, an uncle who's an opera singer in my family uh, who was very successful over in Europe. And, you know, it was just always something. And I don't know, man, I, um, what I, my cousins had a wedding band when I was growing up, and, and they would play our family parties. And something about the way that the drums sounded to me and, like, kind of hit me in the chest with the bass drum, I was just fascinated by that sound. And I wanted to do that to people, you know. Uh uh, So I just gravitated to the drums uh, at an early age. I mean, before I could really do anything, you know, like play sports. At four or five years old, I was already wanting to be a drummer and had like little baby toy drum sets and stuff. So I just grew up always wanting to do it. And eventually um, my parents bought me, uh, you know, a real drum set. Uh, I took drum lessons when I was very young, but, uh, you know, when you, you get older, my parents had moved a few times. I I had lost contact with my drum teacher, but I started to play. What I did was I, my brother was a guitar player. So we would, he, he, and we had the same teacher and his, his, my drum teacher was his guitar teacher. So we would jam together. We had a barn on our property growing up and, and we would learn like foreigner, hot blooded and, and. And like Brown Sugar from the Stones and and Freebird. And we would just jam all these songs. So I early on learned how to play with a guitar player. And I also used to put records on and I would learn the entire album. And I would I would play them through my brother's guitar amp. He had this huge guitar amp. Oh, wow. So I would play like Let It Bleed from the Stones from start to finish every single song. And I just and I would play Aerosmith Rocks every single song. And I just I became like more of a musical. I felt like a musical drummer. And and because I was playing with records, I was very conscious of tempo and timing and keeping, you know, keeping your meter in check. And so when it came to playing with a band, I kind of went into it with that mindset. But I wasn't really like a chops guy where I was I was learning. I would just cop what I learned from like John Bonham or Charlie Watts or Joey Kramer and in particular, Alex Van Halen. So I just learned songs really. And um, so I was always like in a band, even if the band was the Rolling Stones, you know, right. I would play along with them, you know? And so when it came time for me to, to actually start playing in bands with my high school friends, um, you know, I was ready to go. And, um, and so, you know, I started out doing covers and uh, I went to school in uh, at a school called Villanova University in Pennsylvania. And there was a girl in one of my classes uh, named Gail, and she was dating a guy named Jeff Labar, uh, who was the guitar player from Cinderella. And, she, yeah. and I had long hair. And I, I was at school. You know, she was like, hey, you know, you should come over to, and see my, my boyfriend's band over in South Jersey. And I did. I walked in uh, to the Galaxy nightclub and I was like, I'm home. This is where I belong. And, uh, you know, I started banging around in in local bands. And eventually I met Mark and Reggie and, uh, you know, they were looking for a drummer to start a new band. And I did it. And I I joined up uh, with them. And and, uh, you know, so that's it. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. I recently got in contact again with my childhood drum teacher who, who I'd only taken lessons from for a couple of years. Um, but he his name is Mark LaRosa. And he's gone on to be a uh, just like a one of the most beloved teachers on Long Island. He's taught a lot of people uh, over the years. And uh, I got in contact with him again uh, and late in life, this late in life. And we've become like super good friends. And we, we text each other literally every single day of my life. And uh, I wouldn't be talking to you if it wasn't for him. You know, pay attention to your teachers, man. Like. They're everything. Absolutely. Can I say one (laughs) more thing? I I took lessons again later after Heaven's Edge was kind of like on the back nine when I knew Heaven's Edge was probably not really going to be successful. I started taking lessons again. And boy, what a difference. It really changed. I I was like, shit, man, I should have taken lessons earlier. And I changed my technique and my just overall approach, my practice, uh, and uh, I feel truthfully, I became a much, much better drummer later in life than I was when I was actively in Heaven's Edge. And I enjoy playing more now because I'm more confident. Sure.
0: And I think that that goes for every instrument. I, I started out playing guitar, and I find that through time, you learn things that you didn't want to take in when you're younger. Yeah. But, yeah you're you just... know, when you're young, you're getting the guitar, it's all about. How many notes can I get in 30 seconds? And then you start to learn that it's more about content and melody and providing that. And that's when you start honing your craft.
1: No doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, look, I loved playing drums. I love playing drums through a big PA system. It's the greatest feeling in the world to just have that power of the beautiful sounding drum kit through a massive PA in an arena. But you know, I was in a band. I was look I was chasing girls, you know, I was like, you know, partying. I was more into like the fun of being in a band than I was into, you know, practicing and playing drums, which, you know, was a was a waste of, of time. It was stupid.
0: And if you could pick your favorite song. By Heaven's Edge to play live, what would it be?
1: Um, that's a good, really good question. I've never really been asked before either. Um, I don't know. I really like I like the song "Play Dirty," which is what we open with, um, because it like sets it sets me up for everything else that follows. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's actually not like a very natural song for me to play. It's not what I would fall into as a drummer so it 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 gets me it just focuses my brain on the what what comes next in the set and not that it's like this intricate song because it isn't it it just like gets me around on the drum set it gets my arms swinging because it's uh you know it's an it's kind of like a wide open song it's got the cowbell in it it's got some good hi-hat stuff that i like to play and uh that song to me is probably my my favorite song to play live because it just, it, it reminds me of nothing but pure fucking adrenaline, you know, because mm-hmm. we always open with it. We've tried to open with other songs over the years, but there's just that one just sets us up. It's it, it Remind when I hear that song, my heart starts racing. Cause I'm like, it's always about, you know, here we go. The show is on, the lights are on, the crowds in front of us. And what is, what is going to happen over the next hour, hour and a half? Uh, I have no idea, but play dirty without a doubt sets the tone for that so that that's probably the one that i uh I feel the most strongly about
0: I know when i when I first heard the first album and uh when is that all you want came and I heard that bass the first time that yeah. bass kick, oh my goodness, it was like. Is like
1: heaven. Yeah, yeah. Uh that is live. We did the live version of that, yeah. On the record, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, that's also kind of a weird song for us. We don't really do that like Bo Diddley Blues stuff that often, but um, it, it always went over really live for us, well live, and it was fun to play. And I don't know what the hell we were thinking to put a live song on the record. Uh I have no idea why, what we thought about that. I think we tried to do it in the studio and it just didn't come off well because it's kind of like, you know, it's a song that's been done a billion times by a billion different bands over the years. Sure. Um, so it's not like this unique song. So doing it live in the studio is just like, yeah, I would have ever heard this before. I, I guess we were maybe thinking like the way that like Aerosmith did Train Kept the Rolling and, mm-hmm. they, and they switched over to the live on uh, Get Your Wings, you know, we were probably... probably Referencing that in some way, knowing how much uh, we were into Aerosmith.
0: Yeah, uh, and speaking of that, on a side note, Seasons of Wither is probably my favorite Aerosmith tune.
1: Uh, it's a great song. Absolutely love it. So, such a great song. I'm, I'm just like an obsessive Aerosmith fan of the early stuff. I'm not, I never really got into the later the songs as much, um, you know, after like Pump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, you know, that happens.
0: And I wanted to ask you as well, along your musical journey, what do you say, would you say has been the best advice that has been given to you?
1: The best advice that has been given to me on my musical journey. Are you talking about professionally music? Like, yes. Um, like, like uh, I had a lot yeah, of advisors, you know, like, as far
0: as, uh, you know, um, starting out, um, maybe a tip as to, you know, how things are going to be. And as far as being in a studio and working with people like that or anything like that, what would you say was the best advice that was given to you?
1: Um, one of the be- One of the best advice I remember somebody telling us as a band was don't let people come in between you. You know, everybody's got an agenda. And the agenda is usually for themselves. It's not for the band. And as you go through your career, there are going to be people who come in and, and basically through their own selfishness, drive a wedge between the band members. Mm. And the advice that I was given was like, be on the lookout for it and don't let it happen. You know, when you get right down to it, get the band together, the five guys in the band and, and figure out what's best for the band not for everybody else outside of the band and if you do that the band will last and you know we look we've had people over the years who have who've definitely uh i think had a negative influence on us and caused us to make some dumb decisions uh and really it was just about their own egos and what they thought was good and um at the end of the day, like we, for the most part, we would always kind of huddle with each other, the five of us, and 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 just be like, you know, what what is right? What's the right thing for us to do? And so that advice that whoever that person gave me, I don't even know who it was, I but I do remember it was was don't let people get between the band members. And um, I was reading, I'm reading a book, a, a music book these days, and, and and there's a quote in it from Pete Towns and who said something to the effect that like being in a band is like the most bizarre relationship you ever have. You you meet people when you're very young and you end up staying with them in a relationship for the rest of your life. If the band continues on, right. It's different mm-hmm. than a marriage. And these are people that you might not normally Be friends with. I mean, look, we've all had friends who you're friends with when you're 16, and you're not friends with when you're 50, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, Or friends that you've made recently, right? In your 40s or 50s that you would never have hung around when you were 16, right? Well, I met these guys in Heaven's Edge when I was 19. And or I think even 18. And would I be friends with them now? I'd like to think I would be. But, you know, we all live different lives. You know, I don't even I live in New York. You know, they, they, they live in different places, you know. And and so so that relationship that you have with these people, aside from the music, there's a professional relationship because there's money involved, you know. Sure. And there are wives involved and kids now. And and, you know, so, you know, you have to give a, people a lot of latitude to to be themselves. And that advice that we got back in the 80s about, um, you know, letting just doing what's right for the band, you know, within reason uh, is was good advice, man. so I tell everybody that I when I'm an AR person for a band, I always say, hey, don't listen. I mean, listen to me, <laughs> but don't really, really don't, don't, don't take what I say as law. Um, right. And, you know, it's really all about the band. Do what is right for the individuals and collective health of the band and everything will work itself out.
0: And so, on the lines, I, I'd like to ask you as well, what has been your proudest moment with heaven's edge?
1: Um, honestly, the proudest, most emotional moment for me was when we got, when I saw the video for what could have been truthfully, um, because it like, summed up a lot of uh emotion for not only us but the people who know us the people who've been around the band uh the people who saw us over the years and who stuck with us um you know the memory of George the fact that we're still intact as a band with all of our original members um you know with Jaron being being in there of course um but yeah, that's made me the most proud. Is to be like we still make music that I'm proud of. We still make video of videos that I'm proud of, and I, I I love the guys in the band, and it's, it's it was really expression of a lifetime's worth of work. You know, just because we, sure. we want uh, you know Def Leppard or Motley Crue, um, I don't care. You know, success is in the eye of the beholder, and I feel we're successful.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I also wanted to ask you, uh, what's the best way to get merchandising and physical copy from the band?
1: Uh, as it is right now, the best way is to come and see us live, <laughs> um, because that's where we have the stuff. We don't have a web store. Uh, Frontier certainly uh, doesn't do that stuff. Um, you can get product on Amazon. Um, uh, we probably will set up a web store. Um we just haven't, we haven't really done it because the truth is, Robert, um, the business side of the band, we never really, we just, we, need, we don't have a manager. We don't have a business manager. We do it and it takes time. And as, sure. as, the, as the demand grows, I'm like, all right, well actually, maybe we should set up a web store. You know, people will buy this stuff. Um, it just takes time and, it, and it, it's just like upfront costs that are involved with it. And, you know, so we have to like put money together for it. But as of right now, it's a sad answer, which is you got to come and see us live, but Hey, come see us live. We have absolutely, you know, I love our merch. Uh, we, we, we're out of vinyl right now, but we're going to get more right now. We have CDs. We might even, uh, reissue on vinyl. Some of our earlier stuff, uh, that's being talked about. So, you know, it's weird, man, as the band's getting going again, we're we're functioning as like a functioning band again, a one step at a time, and it's 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 work, you know. And we all absolutely, but it's uh, but it's once it's up and running, and once the work gets done, I'm like, ah, this is cool.
0: And uh, speaking of touring, um, what can fans look for next, and where will you behave
1: to? Well, look, we're still. Weekend Warriors, you know, we're not going on the road to do an extensive tour anytime in the foreseeable future. But I wouldn't rule out us doing a week or two here or there um, if it can be put together. There's been some talk about it. As of right now, though, uh, we still kind of keep it fairly local East Coast um, and Europe. Right. So we're headed over to Germany in September to play a festival there. Um, Mark has played some sol- solo shows in like Greece. We've, we have have played in, in uh, I think Mark has played in Germany and Italy too. I'm not sure, but, but we've um, we played, we have played in the UK and, you know, if, if they, if we can make the economics work, which as we all know in this day and age, touring in Europe is like a nightmare, uh, sure. but we can get over there and we're looking to get back to Boston. I would actually love to play in LA. Uh, we just haven't done it. And and maybe what we do is like a run if we could do a run across the United States where we we do like, you know, head swing through the south and, you know, through like Nashville area, Texas, Vegas, and then over to L.A. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I'd, I'd love to do all that stuff because the more we play, the more we want to play. <laughs> I'm like, come on, let's rehearse just because i love playing with the guys so I, so but we are playing um i we, i'm i'm just making this confusing probably but we we're, we're playing we're playing germany we're playing in we're playing in september we're playing in like the the central new jersey area in um august we're playing in connecticut at a festival in like norwalk connecticut in october we've been announced for the monsters of rock cruise in the spring, and I know there's another Philly show that is on the books but not announced yet before the end of this year. So we got that's, like five or six shows coming up.
0: That's excellent. I'd love to see you guys here in Ohio. That's for sure.
1: Me too. Um, did we play? We played the Agora Ballroom in Ohio a few times. If that's what it was called. Yes, that place is fucking sick, man. Out of all the great clubs like Hammerjacks, right, like the Birch Hill. Um, uh, Sundance on Long Island, like the Agora, is just one of those places where I couldn't wait to get to play there. And uh, we had a man, I'll never forget that night. We had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, lastly, I wanted to ask you if you could give any message to your fans, what would that message be?
1: Well, the message would be thank you, honestly. Uh, thank you for paying attention to us and um thank you for talking about us you know i mean i it's you know i work in the music business and the younger bands have an edge over the the more older bands because the younger fans are more tech savvy so when they like something they go home and they get on on, online and they post about it on social media and it helps spread the word about an artist whereas you know, older fans don't necessarily do that. You know, they might buy a CD and take it home and listen to it and not tell anybody.
0: You know, You're right? Um,
1: so we have seen some younger fans who have some pretty s- strong social media reach who've been out to see us and have gone and posted about it. And so, you know, I just say thank you for supporting us and thank you for talking about us, because talking about us and telling people about us is what keeps us alive you know, coming to the show and buying a shirt. It's cool. It's not about the money for us. We don't, we don't honestly make any money on that stuff because we just roll it back into buying more merch items. To me, it's like you're walking around wearing a Heaven's Edge shirt and we make the shirts so that they're pretty visible that, so people can see what the band is. And, um, you know, when I see that, I'm like, thank you. You know, not thank you for giving us money. I don't care about that. I mean, it's nice, but I'm like, thank you for honoring us. And, and telling people that you care about us. So, uh, so and thank you for coming to see us and when you're there for paying attention to us. Uh, it, it's really, um, you know, I can't say enough about what that means to me at somebody uh, my age who's been around. I've been around a lot of very, very successful artists over the years. And I can tell you, they all... You know, as much as things become routine after a while, we all love it, man. You know, I don't care if you're Paul McCartney or some kid in a garage playing his first talent show. Just being out there and having people appreciate what you do and the effort that you put in to work your craft is the most rewarding thing ever, man. And and so thank you.
0: And I wanted to thank you as well because uh, on a personal note, I did 144 interviews last year with bands God, damn. and out of them 144 interviews, I probably mentioned heaven edge at least 25 times because, <laughs> that's, uh,
1: that's it? 25 out of <laughs> 144. And I'm only kidding. Of course. Thank you. That's great, man. That's and awful. the
0: reason for that is literally the first one, you know, I would tell everyone, Hey, This is the best kept secret in fucking metal that there is because I literally have been blasting that first album ever since it came out. I remember the day it came out and there is a record store here in Ohio called National Record Martin. They have buy it, try it.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So you, you bought the album. I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah. You bought the album and you know, you could either keep it or bring it back. Yeah, yeah. And I kept that shit and wore the fucking grooves off of it. <laughs> and uh you know, I told told everyone I'm like, I couldn't I just I couldn't fathom that it wasn't the hottest shit in metal all around. So I've been preaching Evan's Edge ever since. I'm like,
1: you gotta check us out, you know. <laughs> it's so weird. We have like it is kind of weird. We do have this like weird cult following which we're such we're so not a cult band you know we, we kind of look we what we do is not, not unique really you know i mean it, by, by any measure i don't think so anyway but but i don't know what it is like there is like this kind of weird cult thing where the people who are into the band are so uh the kind of loyal and appreciative I, it's weird i don't know i can't put my finger on it. i'm trying to get my head around it so i can explain it to myself so that i can explain it explain it to other people. But there, there is like this weird, I don't mean, weird, weird is I, I say it's weird because I, I'm always surprised when people pay attention to us. But um, but yeah, no, th- thanks for that. And uh, yeah, that that's why I will tell you this, as long as uh, people want to hear us, we're, we are going to continue to make music. We're going to continue to continue to record stuff and we're going to do our best to make sure that it's a, the, the highest quality that we can make. And we're gonna we're gonna try to have more fun and be more creative as well as time goes on. Um, so you know, thanks for that. Thanks for getting that record and thanks for talking about us those twenty five times. I hope that you continue to do so.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, like I say, it totally was it's at a time where you know, as me as a fan, I am a child of the eighties. I graduated in the eighties, so But that whole era was very important to me. And I thought that that album really was one of the best representations of the era.
1: Wow, that's a huge statement. Um, Look, things change, times change over time. And, you know, we probably were a culmination and a conglomerate of a lot of the stuff that came before us. that, That is for sure. Um, look, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and so I, I lived through that era, and boy, did I live through it. Um, you know, the thing is about the 80s is, and I see it, in, I see it now, I'm an, um, I work for a label, you know, I, ha- I own my own label now. I, I get it, right? I understand that, that things change and executives come in and they want to they put their stamp on things. The thing I just found frustrating about the 80s music was it was never taken seriously, ever, even at its height. Right, I, it used to piss me off so much because I just felt like the people who control the industry, the business, they don't care about it. Like, I don't care what anybody says, those bands that I mentioned earlier, Crew, Rat, Cinderella, mm. um, you know, they, they were not really played on the radio, they really were not. Um, yeah, right. movie um, got played on the radio, true, Def Leppard did, but. They really didn't get played as much as everybody thinks. That right. was all successful by word of mouth and just by pure fan uh, support. It, it you know, those there was not a lot of Rolling Stone magazine covers or sixty minutes interviews for these sure. bands. And those bands sold millions of albums, millions. And That's the people awesome. who played in those bands were like. Absolute chops freaks, these guitar players and musicians who who did what they do, whether it's you know, George Lynch or Warren D. Martini, um, uh, you know, these people, the and there's thousands of others, you know. Now we're seeing that Nuno is finally being recognized as the great genius that he is. Sure. These guys didn't get recognized, you know, the great drummers that played in these bands, Tommy Aldridge and stuff like it just pissed me off back then so much. And then when Grunge came in, as, look, I love Alice in Chains and I love Soundgarden. People who know me know how much I love those bands. I was welcoming that stuff in like with open arms. Um, and the 90s to me was one of the most exciting times ever in music as well. But that music was considered more legit than 80s music was. And yeah. I thought it was just unfair. Um, and, and it's now great to see that Somebody like Nuno, uh, Robbie Hoffman, who manages extreme sent it's put out an Instagram post yesterday with all the magazine covers that Nuno is now getting with the new extreme album. And he fucking deserves it, man. The guy mm. is like an inhuman wizard. He looks killer. The guy looks like he's 21 years old. He's a rock star through and through every bone in his body. And, you know, he's finally being recognized. And it's like, what do you have to do? You have to live your whole fucking life uh, to get, to get that kind of recognition, you know, like what that guy has done um and what that band has done so you know i i don't know i have i definitely as you can tell have a big chip on my shoulder about how how those bands were treated and how that entire decade was treated and i basically say to everybody who's running shit back then you know fuck off you know you didn't give these people enough attention and uh they earned it anyway and they're still at it you know go see kicks before they hang it up sure our match kicks up against any of the great bands to ever take the stage in any era ever ever uh they are a phenomenal live band with an insane amount of talent that uh to me like is will net will never be truly recognized the way that it that it should be i see these bands now and my jaw is on the floor um go yeah. see john karabi John Karabi, like on the Monsters of Rock Cruise he does like an acoustic set. He did Oh Darling a song from the Beatles. It's it's on um it's on Abbey Road and it's Paul McCartney will tell you it's like one of the hardest songs he's ever had to sing. Karabi does a version of Oh Darling from the Beatles that you like you won't we can't believe like how talented this guy is. And what a voice he has that he would even attempt a song like that and have the execution of it is un- unbelievable. You know, you talk about like Corey Taylor, how great he is. Corey Taylor is sure. great. I put Karabi up there with Corey Taylor, Evan, any day mm. of the week, you know, why is Karabi, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'm sorry. No, that's- you're
0: absolutely right. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. You know, that's just the way things are, I guess. Uh, I think uh, maybe, Maybe the production and everything was, you know, just never embraced. You know, but
1: oh yeah, it goes well, back to the, the point that. uh well, Bo Hill, Bo Hill as a producer, what he did changed the sound of mu- music—not rock music, music for the future—with the backwards drums and uh, the the work that he did on Rats on Round and Round. Listen to the production um, on Round and Round. It's it's one of the most highly high quality produced songs ever recorded and Bo hill deserves all the credit for that and every all that followed from that what he did you know that guy should be up there like you know with mutt lang for what right. mutt, you know, like so anyway i can talk obviously about this all day long You asked me earlier about advice. My old boss gave me advice. He said, Dave, you talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) I obviously don't listen to him. Well, I
0: wanted to thank you, my friend, for taking time to speak with me. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I could speak with you all day as well.
1: (laughs) I guess. Yeah, well, I have to go to my office, so uh, I can't stay on the phone all day. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, all right, well. Robert, thanks for having me, man. Uh, Good luck with everything, and uh, keep the faith, brother.
0: All right. Thank you, my friend. You have a great rest of your day.
1: All right. Talk to you later.
0: Bye. All right. Cheers. I'd like to thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can sponsor a podcast. Just click that button, and you can be a member of the family. And remember, come see me for a fix.